0: You're traveling through another dimension, a dimension not only of sight and sound, but of mind. It is the middle ground between light and shadow, between science and superstition, and it lies between the pit of one's fears and the summit of one's knowledge. You are now traveling through a dimension of imagination. You just crossed over into the Twilight Zone.
1: Hello and welcome to a bonus episode of Anthology, presented by ObsessiveViewer.com. I'm your host, Matt Hurt, and if this is your first time listening, Anthology is one man's examination of the Twilight Zone as a first-time viewer. Each podcast, I share my first impressions, analysis, and overall thoughts on Rod Serling's iconic series, one episode at a time. However, in this bonus episode series, I'm reviewing season two of Jordan Peele and Simon Kinberg's Twilight Zone reboot on CBS All Access, hosted by Jordan Peele. You can find more of Anthology as well as full episode archives at anthologypod.com. And if you want to contact me, you can use the Facebook page at facebook.com anthologypod, tweet me at ovanthologypod, or send me an email at matt at obsessiveviewer.com. And finally, if you want to support the show and get access to exclusive content go to patreon.com slash obsessive viewer and pledge a minimum of $1 per month for an exclusive RSS feed with content recorded specifically for Patreon supporters across all of the podcasts that I do. And if you pledge $5, you get access to that as well as exclusive commentary tracks and immediate movie reviews that I uh, post occasionally. Um, <laughs> and that's at $5. And if you get if you pledge $10 a month, you get all of that, plus uh, unreleased and, uh, and early access to podcast episodes across all of the podcasts that I run at obsessiveviewer.com. Um, again, that's at patreon.com slash obsessiveviewer. And for a sneak peek, you'll hear a, you'll hear a clip from the Patreon recording that I did for this episode, but in that I talk about the Expanse book series and some other science fiction-y things. So again, that's patreon.com slash obsessiveviewer. So today on the podcast, I'm going to be discussing A Small Town. It's the eighth episode of The Twilight Zone second season, which premiered on June 25th, 2020 on CBS All Access. And if you haven't already, please check out my interview with screenwriters Tanana Reevdu and Stephen Barnes from uh, back in December. I talked to them about A Small Town, their writing process, all that. Um, it was a really fun experience to um, <laughs> to chat with them the day that i got covid symptoms <laughs> so um so yeah check that out um that's a couple episodes ago in the feed and thank you once again so much to Tanana Revdew and Stephen Barnes uh for chatting with me and i'm really looking forward to um what they do next which i will talk about in this next segment here, um, so before I get into actually reviewing a small town, which spoiler alert is my favorite episode of all twenty of these episodes of The Twilight Zone from these two seasons from uh, from Monkey Paw Productions. Um. So before I get to that, though, I do have some notes and some news to go over. The first one is the not so surprising news that broke yesterday. Um, in light of CBS All Access slash Paramount Plus, they had Paramount Plus had this big showcase of all the stuff that's coming to the platform uh, when CBS All Access transitions into Paramount Plus on March fourth, and i already knew it i've said it before on the podcast and i've i've been priming myself for it but the twilight zone is officially not moving forward at cbs all access or paramount plus it is officially ended we are only going to have those two seasons those 20 episodes for monkey paw productions and genre pictures um so yeah um You know, given that it's almost a year after the season two, uh, after the second season premiered, and I'm still reviewing the series, you would think that I'm not that enthusiastic about the show. But honestly, I really did enjoy it. Um, I feel like I got more enjoyment out of it than most people did, and I don't know what uh, accounts for that. Um, I I've talked about it before but it's probably somewhat due to the just excitement over having new twilight zone to cover um since the whole premise of this podcast is me going through the twilight zone as a first time viewer so I'm essentially talking into a void of listeners who have grown up and loved the twilight zone for for decades and they're listening to this 34 year old guy uh talk about his first experience with the show which I I'm I'm proud of that as a hook for a podcast but i'm also um i wouldn't say ashamed of it but i'm also like aware that you know maybe some opinions i might have might ruffle some feathers i don't know but um so i think i was just excited that cbs all access had a new iteration of the twilight zone that i was covering while everyone else was watching it for the first time as well um, so that accounts for that. And also I just genuinely liked it. Um, with some of its faults, uh, uh, pushed aside, it's, it's not a bad show at all. Like it's no, it's by no means perfect. And, um, it, it rarely got up to the Serling level, which is expected. I mean, I don't think anything I'm, um, I'm starting uh, starting into the third season of the original Twilight Zone, and I am very, well, very well aware that I don't know that anything can really reach that level, uh, that sterling level of television for me, because I just adore this original series. Um, so, but but when the Twilight Zone CBS All Access Twilight Zone was good, it was really good, and I'm excited to talk about one of the episodes that is really, really, really good um here in a bit but i just want to read from the news article from the hollywood reporter about the twilight zone not moving forward at cbs all access so the first um paragraph that i'm going to read is the anthology from ex- executive producers jordan peele and simon pin P- oh my god i'm going to take that again <laughs> the anthology from executive producers jordan peele and simon kinberg has been canceled after a two-season run on the Vi- viacom cbs-backed platform Sources say Peel and Kinberg's companies were both ready to walk away from the series, though CBS All Access/Paramount Plus wanted the series to continue. And to that effect, um, Kinberg and Peel um, put out a statement through their uh, companies, through Monkey Paw Productions and Genre. I think it's Genre Pictures. I think. Um, and that statement is, We greatly enjoyed our time working on The Twilight Zone, particularly when the real world around us even uh, often felt more and more like uh, another dimension. We cherished the opportunity to collaborate with so many talented writers, actors, and crew members. After 20 unique episodes, we have told the stories uh, that we wanted to tell, and CBS All Access was gracious in their understanding of our decision. It was an honor and a privilege to bring audiences to, mo- to a modern reimagining a Rod Serling's iconic creation. Um, so there you have it. Um CBS All Access slash Paramount Plus is not going to be renewing the Twilight Zone, which is fine. It's, you know, we got two seasons and we still got all of the other Twilight Zone content out there. So it's, it's not like a big loss or anything. But the thing that I keep coming back to and the thing that I keep thinking about um, in the wake of this official confirmation that I knew was coming <laughs> for months because, I mean come on. <laughs> they uh, they released a bare bones DVD in January without any like fanfare or anything or any special features. So, I mean, come on, the writing was on the wall. But um, the thing I keep coming back to is that the Twilight Zone as a property is not going to lay dormant for a long time. Um, the UPN series was in, I think, 2002 and 2003. And I mean, granted, that's like... Oh my god, math. I just realized I'm walking into math. Um, (laughs) uh, 16 years, uh, from, from now, um, and then the 80s series was was even longer of a time frame uh from that so i mean this is a property that's going to come back at some in some form or another i'm sure and i'm very curious what that's going to be like what that's going to look like um if i will have finished reviewing the original series by that point <laughs> um, which i say jokingly but i kind of um hope i don't piss off any any listeners by making that joke um cuz i do intend on finishing the series um sooner rather than later. I don't know. But anyway, um, yeah, so so it's kind of a bummer. Um, and I hope that we can um, send off the show with these last few reviews that I'm going to be doing for the CBS All Access series. Um, some other news that I want to break down for the uh, kind of in, in relation to um, the Twilight Zone and everything is that Shudder... And AMC recently announced uh, that they've greenlit, greenlit an untitled black horror anthology show. And I'm going to kind of read from the from the press release. Um, let's see. AMC and Shudder, AMC Networks, is premium uh, streaming service for horror, thriller and, super, and the supernatural announced today the green light of the scripted, untitled black horror anthology showcasing black horror from black. Uh, directors and screenwriters. The anthology is set to debut later this year on AMC Plus and Shutter, Uh The company's premiere streaming bundle, followed by a premiere on AMC, um, a successful windowing strategy previously implemented for the streamer's hit original series, Creepshow. And I'm really excited about this. Um, I don't know... <sighs> I don't know that I'll cover it because I'm. This podcast is more of a sci-fi anthology series podcast, but we'll we'll see. Um, I've I've often often thought like I've often daydreamed of doing like an anthology horror spinoff podcast, um, but I mean I'm so inconsistent with all of these podcasts that I I literally cannot do that unless I'm doing podcasts full time, and I do not see a, a scenario where I'm able to do podcasts full-time and still live in an apartment with my cat. <laughs> so uh, we'll see. But anyway, um, the untitled black horror anthology will feature new work uh, from both established and emerging talents, expanding on a legacy of black genre filmmaking, whose first hundred years were explored in shutters. It uh, was explored in Shutter shutters critically came claimed 2019 documentary horror, uh, horror noir, a history of black horror. So, that brings me to why I'm bringing this up on here, because friends of the show, uh, previous guests and uh, writers for The Twilight Zone, the episode that I'm going to be reviewing in this episode, Tanana Dew and Stephen Barnes are uh, going to be working on this project. They're going to be writing for this show, and I am so excited for them and for this project because, um, I mean, I, I obviously love anthology shows, and um, I have such an affinity for the horror genre. And also, I mean, it's specifically, um, it's specifically like, uh, um, the kind of idea behind it is to explore black voices and genre filmmaking and stuff. And I'm just all for that inclusivity and, uh, broadening kind of the, the horizons of, of, um, what I consume and everything as just a white guy in Indianapolis. Um, (laughs) So I'm really excited for this. And I'm so thrilled for Tananarive do and Stephen Barnes for, for their uh, what they're going to be doing on this. I can't wait to see what they come up with. So, uh, other news I have is not really much of anything. I was going to bring up that Edgar Wright is going to direct Stephen King's The Running Man at Paramount Pictures. And the reason I was going to bring that up is because Simon Kinberg's Genre Films production company is producing it. Um, So, Simon Kinberg is going to be a producer on that, as well as Audrey Chan. Uh, They are both, obviously, involved with The Twilight Zone. And uh the last piece of news that I have is that Stephen King and J.J. Abrams are developing an anthology series called Tiny Horrors. I'm a huge fan of Stephen King, as evidenced by what I'm going to be saying in this podcast, as well as what I say on Tower Junkies, my Stephen King podcast. So, um... King is quoted as saying, "I talked with JJ Abrams a lot about a po- possible anthology series of tiny horrors. We really got down and dirty about it and talked uh, about things that were really really scary. So, I am all for more anthology series. Specifically, I'm more I'm very much for episodic anthology series. Um because that's what my bread and butter is on this podcast. And also, it's just it's such a it's such a it's such a broad um kind of what's the word i'm looking for like a broad canvas to to kind of create stories in like they're not they're not confined to specific things because it's an anthology show it's just something that i'm always attracted to so anyway that's all the news and preamble i have um sorry to see that twilight zone is not coming back but um it'll come back eventually in some form or another and i can't wait to see what happens when the next group of people pick up the mantle and uh Bring us more Twilight Zone content, whenever that may be. Okay, so I'm going to go into my review of a small town, and um, first I'm going to do talent rundown and everything, Uh, and then before that, Jesus, (laughs) I'm going to do a plot summary, courtesy of the CBS All Access app. Um, A small town. A quiet church handyman uncovers a magical scale model imbuing him with the power to help his struggling small town. But with the sleazy Mayor Con, Conley, uh, taking all the credit, will Jason's good intentions be corrupted? Um, and it's interesting. I don't know why this is, but, um, the plot summary as well as the closed captioning on CBS All Access mistakenly, and I think maybe IMDb also mistakenly, uh, credit Dave, Dave Crumholtz's character's name as Mayor Conway. Um, that's why I kind of stu- st- uh, struggled there, but it's actually, it's Mayor Conley. Um, uh, so I don't know, I don't know what the deal is there. Okay. So starring in this episode as Jason Grant is Damon Waynes Jr. Who I am a big fan of, man. He is, he was, he was phenomenal in the sitcom Happy Endings, um, uh, that ran for three seasons on ABC and I, it's one of my favorite like sitcoms and everything. And he was also in let's be cops and he's, he's been making kind of a splash in, in comedy, um, recently, uh, over the last like five or six years. Um, co-starring as Ma- uh, Mayor Conley is David Krumholtz, who, uh, was previously in the deuce and evil as well as, uh, as well as elf. Um, He was also, oh, he was also in an episode of ER that was particularly, um, a a big monumental episode of ER in season six. Um, and then also as Anna is Natalie Martinez. She was in, um, Netflix's The Island, and she was also in Under the Dome, uh, on CBS, which was, that was a rough one. And also on CBS All Access's recently, uh, adaptation of The Stand, which you can hear me review in a, Several, um, somewhat profanity-laced <laughs> and anger-inducing, uh, review series on Tower Junkies at TowerJunkiesPod.com. Um, cause I wasn't a fan of that adaptation, but, um, yeah, so I'll leave it at that. And also, uh, in this episode is Paula Newsom as Pastor Nichelle. Uh, she was previously in, uh, Barry and Chicago Med. And of course, writers for this episode were Stephen Barnes and Tanana Reeve Um, Who you can hear me talk about Or talk to, not about uh, Hear hear me talk to them uh, uh, About the process and everything In a special episode of the podcast um, A few episodes ago And director for this episode was Alonzo Alvarez He uh, previously directed four episodes of FX's Snowfall, which stars TZ uh, alum Damson Idris from uh, The episode Replay So yeah, okay, so plot summary and cast rundown out of the way. I'm going to go ahead and give my initial thoughts on this episode. Um, I'm going to be spoiling the episode from beginning to end. So um, if you haven't seen the episode, go check it out and come back and uh, listen to me review it. So, okay. So my initial thoughts are this is my favorite episode. And I feel like Jason Grant is such a good and decent character. And that comes through in the episode so wonderfully. And the small town experiencing supernatural occurrences while also featuring a morally corrupt and conman type of guy as the mayor it makes it feel so much like a Stephen King story, which is 100% my jam. And like those things coming together the the interesting character, the character journey, and the Stephen King kind of atmosphere of it, while also being its own thing and unique, a unique story in its own right, just kind of come together with a perfect and like surprisingly optimistic and heartfelt ending, and I just I I adore this episode so much. I think it's a very well constructed episode. And uh, yeah, so those are my initial thoughts, and I'm going to go into my review of a small town. So the episode opens with this prologue of this newsreel of um, a news uh, cast uh, reporting on Trina's death, Jason's Jason's wife, and this I found really interesting because it's I don't know if I'd say it's out of character for the Twilight Zone this iteration of the Twilight Zone, but it's a very succinct and clear. Um, introduction to the town of Littleton, and also the journey that Jason himself is going through. And I just, I found this really compelling, and it sets up everything just very clearly and organically. And it's something I found really um, interesting, just the way it economizes the storytelling. And then kind of surprisingly, we get a, a time jump of uh, one year later. And by the way, that newscast says that, um, Mayor Conley is su- succeeding, um, I almost said succeeding, um, is succeeding Trina, um, in office as mayor, and that he has been advocating for the freeway to come through or to, to pass by them, to basically erase Littleton off the map, essentially. And so we get one year later and we see the town is in turmoil. And something I found really interesting was the way that it kind of showcases this town kind of being broken a little bit. Um, there, It's very subtle. Like there's a shot of a person packing their car, which is, uh, and then hugging um, a neighbor saying like, oh, hey, I'm sorry you can't stay or whatever. Um it's just that, that imagery, that, that tells us enough about the state of the town. And furthermore, it's juxtaposed with Mayor Conley pulling up with his flashy sports car. And it's just, it shows the, how, it immediately shows just completely how out of touch and shitty Mayor Conley is as, as a person and unfit to, to rule as mayor of Littleton. And then the camera zooms in on the church and this is our introduction to, Jason, and we see a montage, and a montage, a montage in the attic, and uh, we see the spider, which is laying the groundwork for um, was to come later in the episode. And I did notice that the name of the spider is Mister Wiley, um, which is a reference to um, production designer. I think it's Michael Wiley. Um, so that's pretty cool. And so our first scene with Jason is Emilio coming up and talking to him. Emilio is Anna's kid. Um, and it this scene goes such a long way to really demonstrate how kind and personable Jason is. Like, I'm such a fan of Jason as a character. And I love the way Damon Wayans Jr. plays him. Um, he's, this, he's this beacon of good in a struggling community. Uh, and he has like very good intentions that are being used. Like his, his good intentions are fueled by his mourning for his wife. And it's something that it's, it's subtle. It's something that's just kind of, it's kind of beneath the surface and it just works so, so well. And when Emilio's talking to Jason, he makes, he, he says, um, basically Jason says that the pastor said that, uh, him living up in the attic uh, could make him feel closer to God. And Emilio asks if Jason feels closer to God. And what I found interesting in this episode is there's there's a lot. It's a running thing of um, God and, and religion and faith and everything. I'm not a religious person by any stretch, like at all. Um, but I found that really compelling. And I'll kind of point out some of the other references here and there. Because this episode at its heart is about this man having these powers, these these abilities, this ability to make like positive change in his community that so desperately needs it and it's not a straightforward corruption story. Like he's not necess- the, the way that he is corrupted by that power is not in the way that you would expect it to. Like he never he never uses that power for personal gain. Gain. And that's one of the reasons why I Love this episode. And it's interesting because another episode that I just adored of this series was season one's replay, which kind of now that I'm saying this out loud (laughs) has some interesting parallels because in replay, um, the main character doesn't, doesn't use the Twilight Zone power she's given for, for personal gain or anything. And I just, I find that just really interesting kind of shadows of each other in the twilight zone that these are, these are good people facing a twilight zone element that is by its own, by by itself is able to create good within their life and the life of people around them and the lives of people around them. But the challenge is in how they use that power or how that power kind of ripples throughout, uh, throughout the, their respective episodes but I'll but I'll get to that here in here in a bit. So um after Emilio and Jason have their com- conversation in the attic, uh the pastor meets with Jason while he's kind of pruning the flowers and and watering the plants and everything. And the pastor notices that Jason has had a hard day. She says that Um, she calls him out and doesn't call him out on that, but tells him like, Hey, you look like you've had a rough day. And Jason says that Trina would never have let the town get this way. And therein lies the beauty of this episode. Jason takes it upon himself to continue the work that Trina started. And that is something that I find so moving and, and beautiful because it's, it's in the way that, that Jason channels his grief and despair um, his, his grief over the loss of his wife and the despair that he feels over the town. Um, he channels that into improving the town and not only improving it, but improving it anonymously. And that makes him such a compelling and strong character for me. And the way that the episode avoids giving Jason any ulterior motives or the temptation for greed make this a truly heartwarming and moving episode because what he is tempted by is, doling out retribution to people that he feel, that he feels has, has wronged him in, in a sense, or wronged the town and everything. So he's not, he's not, he's not going through a temptation on a personal level. It's on behalf of the town and, uh, toward the person that he feels has wrecked the town in a way that his wife never would have. And it's just the way I, I'm, I'm just so moved by the way that this episode is all about Jason kind of taking up the mantle of his wife's work, um, cause his wife, as it's, as it's stated and implied throughout the episode, cared so much about this town. And he kind of takes it upon himself to continue that work. And I just, I find that just so fascinating and, and so compelling to, to me. So, um, after the talk with the pastor, um, Jason finds the model as he's kind of going through the attic and everything, cause he asks her if he can kind of, pitch some stuff and and do everything and she's like yeah you'd be doing me a favor so when he finds the model i i don't know how exactly to articulate this but the way damon's wayne damon wayans jr plays that scene like the way that he just expresses jason's awe and wonder at the discovery of the model it's like he is so genuinely impressed and amazed at the detail and everything and i gotta imagine that that's a hard scene to to play just you know a character by himself um kind of just uh, reacting to a model. Um, but there's something about that that just clicks really well with with the character, and it clicked really well with me. Um, and I also like some of the camera techniques in this scene. So in particular, after he finds a model, like one of the first shots of him looking at the model is from... Uh, it's a POV shot from the street level of the model. So it's interesting because it's like the camera is from the perspective of someone that's like in the model. And you see, you see just a a shot of Jason and the kind of the perspective of that, the, um, the way that, you know, (sighs) I mean, it's, it's a pretty clear metaphor. (laughs) Jason is a God and he is standing over like the earth that he is in, that he is, um, in control of at this point, or is about to become in, in control of or omniscient, uh, omniscient toward, um, in, a, in a, in some sense of it. So it's just, it's a really interesting kind of religious and, and, uh, godlike imagery there. And I also like just the detail or the, the, uh, I guess detail, yeah, of when he turns the key to operate it and we see the gears and the pieces moving and the lights lighting up and everything. I thought that was just really cool detail and obviously plays into the end of the scene or the end of the episode when the model is uh, destroyed. Um, so overall, I think that this is a really cool way to introduce us to the Twilight Zone element. And I, I really like the way that we discover like what the actual Twilight Zone element of the episode is because... He sees himself in the model, like he sees himself in the church's like window, and he kind of he he he's kind of uh, perplexed by it, or he's like, "No, there's there's no way that that's me." So he grabs a bottle of water, or a spray bottle, and he sprays the window to get a get a better look and everything, and that's when I just I love this. That's when the water hits the window in like the real world, and I love that reveal. Like it reminds me it kind of it reminds me of the way I felt when the kind of twilight zone element of the episode, the who of you was revealed when it's revealed that, Oh, it's a body swap episode. Like it just, it just, it made me so excited for the rest of the episode. And that's no different here. Cause when that water hits the window, it's like, Oh, okay. This is what we're going like. Okay. I'm, I'm strapped in. Let's, let's, let's do this. Um, and that's the act break. That's what brings us into the opening narration. And I'm going to play a clip of the opening narration here.
0: Mr. Jason Grant, a man looking to make a big difference in a small town. But being the change you wish to see in the world is a lot more complicated when you've got that whole world in your hands. It's all a matter of perspective here in the Twilight Zone.
1: So, this is a really elegant opening narration, I think. It, I love the way it kind of mixes different references. Um, so it says the, the, there's a Gandhi quote in there about, um, let's see, what does he say? A man looking to make a big difference in a small town, but being the change he wished to see in the world is a lot more complicated when you get, uh, when you got the whole world in your hands. Like that double meaning of the Gandhi quote, which apparently I looked it up and that's kind of misattributed, uh, misattributed to Gandhi, but you know, colloquially it's a Gandhi quote. Um, in the hymn, I think it's a hymn of, he's got the whole world in his hands. And I think that's an interesting play on or wink toward the kind of God aspect of this, of this episode, because, um, like I said, this episode really plays up that theme. And, um, there's references to God and religion and faith, uh, throughout this episode. And I just really like the way that the opening narration kind of plays into that, uh, kind of theme throughout the episode. So following the opening narration and the opening credits, we get a shot of the busy bee diner, um, which is a recurring location throughout the series. Um, obviously a reference to Nick of time in the original series, season two, I believe. And, uh, again, we get another, um, another reference to kind of God and, and religion so one of the patrons of the diner is we overhear him talking to another guy uh, and he's talking about how the rain uh, how the rain was so weird and out of place and he refers to it as biblical and again I just love it there's so many there are so many like religious and God references in this episode that I think it just it makes Jason's story and his position um, and his the choices that he makes throughout it. Uh, throughout the episode, all the all the more stronger, and uh, again, like in rapid succession, we get another kind of God reference. Um, uh, one of the guys says they that rain barely missed my place. I could have used a free car wash. And someone responds with, "It had taken an act of God to uh an act of God to clean that hunk of junk," which I thought was pretty funny. Um, and so this scene kind of serves to start developing the community as as a as a setting and everything. Like there's a certain rapport that Anna has with Jason when she's when she's waiting on him and asking him if he wants coffee and everything and talking to him about how he hasn't been in the diner that recently or anything. Um this interaction really just helps sell the community aspect of the story. And I, I love it for that. And there's nothing like you know, when you have like um a male and a female character interacting and having like a rapport. Usually it's, you know, um, insinuating or, um, going to hint at making a romantic connection between them. And we don't get any of that between Anna and Jason throughout this episode. And I think it works all the better for that. Um yeah, so jason is is sitting there enjoying his coffee he's reading a book, and uh he overhears Anna and Emilio talking about how they're going to be painting the wall and um again, another just really really nice and organic way to um kind of showcase the state of the community of Littleton because uh, Emilio says yeah that that'll really turn this place around talking about painting the diner. It just shows how how much the community is hurting, and I just I love how organic and how just natural these these like lines of like what otherwise would have been exposition, but just lines of lived in dialogue, um, are are given to us throughout the entire episode. It really goes such a long way toward just world building and creating the setting for the, uh, for the interactions to come. It's just, it's so it's, it's really fantastic. And so the next day the diner has been painted and Jason comes up or Jason, Jason has painted the diner using the uh, nail polish that the pastor had. And here's something I really respect about this episode as well. So Anna, when she sees the diner has been painted, is concerned about the mayor's reaction to it because he owns the building and she pays rent on the building. And he did not approve for her to paint it this way. And so something I respect about this episode is that it doesn't set up that the community is living under the thumb of Conley per se. Like, he's an oaf and he's self-centered and he's greedy and he's, uh, kind of a con artist kind of guy. He's, he's a shady guy. He's, he's a shitty mayor. <laughs> um. And, like, if he had his druthers, he'd milk the town uh specifically to line his pockets. He's not a good person. But he doesn't seem particularly dangerous, though. Not immediately, at least. So having him be this kind of this oafish kind of character that isn't, he isn't, like, pure evil. He isn't the kid from The Wonder <laughs> He is he's a, he's grounded in reality because he is a he's his own three-dimensional character and I just love that because any other storyline with this would be he's a villain and he wants to just destroy the town and and he wants to kill everyone and everything and that's like taking it to 11 when you need it to be dialed back and have it be this subtle and this organic and have the drama be the town struggling to survive because of actions done by the mayor just out of greed for himself and not anything too nefarious or malicious toward the town um it's just he's a he's a self-centered character and it's showcased so well in the writing of this episode I, i love it so much um and so as jason comes up and he's kind of Remarking about the paint job and everything, I, like, he has this, uh, kind of smirk and satisfaction tone, the tone of satisfaction that he has. Like, the satisfaction he gets out of the good that he does plays so well into just his good nature and uh, the healing aspect of his actions. Like, I, like, again, it's not just the way that he's grieving for Trina and the town as a whole, but it's the way that he's channeling that grief to carry on Trina's legacy and to have this have some sort of power within the town to make the town good it's just it's so it's so affirming and it's so uplifting and and heartwarming and everything i, I love it so much um and so he sees um an el- elderly woman trip and uh over a pothole and uh one of the the guys helping her helping her up mentions that the suggestion box uh he doesn't think that Mayor Conley has even looked at the suggest- suggestion box. And there's a shot of his suggestion box that's by the street um, attached to a pole. And I, something about that, like, it's just so quaint. And it's another example of a good, like, small-town world building. I just, I think that it's, it's, really, it's really quaint and uh, really plays into what Littleton was before Mayor Conley and before the death of Trina, um, just this quaint, close-knit community. So that brings us to this montage of Jason fixing things. And this is where the song, He's Got the Whole World in His Hands, uh, plays. And it's in, it's again, it's another example of the God theme playing out in the kind of God like powers and like that kind of motif, I guess. Um, and this is a fun montage. It's great because it just shows he's just, he's doing his work. He's, he's fixing the town. Um, I, and I thought that this was a really cute, um, like a nice touch was the dog barking and Jason dropping, um, a, a, a bone to him. And it's just a giant bone, um, on the street. I think it's, it's pretty good. And so the next day we see. Um, someone unloading a truck and he is saying like another person says off camera or, or in the frame, he says, uh, they decided not to move. So that's just a, a very subtle way of showing that, um, these changes are having a profound effect on the town and it's just, it's, it's beautiful. And so then we get a cut into, um, I think it's in, in, inside the diner and we see Mayor Conley interrogating Emilio about the diner painting and everything and two things about this. One is that <laughs> I love the kind of smartassness of Emilio. I think that, I think he's a really good character, but um, <laughs> like Mary Conley says, um, uh, do you know what happens to smart asses? And then he says they get to be mayor. It's just, it's such, it's such a beautiful shutdown. It's just so, it's so great. Um, but what I love about the scene in terms of the writing and everything is that we're dropped in at the tail end of the confrontation. Like, we don't need to see more than what we, what we're shown. But it again plays into this kind of lived in community thing. Like, we don't need, we're a fly on the wall. Um, as Jason is working to fix the town and everything. So we just are brought into these situations in this, the particular scene kind of at the tail end of the confrontation. And that's all we need. And then that's followed with Jason exchanging pleasantries with Conley. And I, I adore this scene so much. Um, cause Conley is, it's this just quintessential, just asshole politician scene. Cause Conley is, is, you know, he's, um, he's pleasant toward Jason, uh, but he doesn't know him and, it's so great. Like This little bit here goes such a long way to develop Conley as a character and establish and, and um, advance his self-centeredness and everything, which comes into play later in the episode, of course. And I also, again, I, a love fest for Damon Wayne's Jr. and the character of Jason, because... I respect Jason so much for being courteous, but also being assertive in this. Uh, Damon Wayne's Jr. plays that irritated, friendly guy so incredibly well. It's perfect because he's... he. You can sense just in the way he delivers the lines about, um, like, oh, yeah, you worked with my wife. Um, Trina... Um, Yeah, and just the way he delivers that is, it's not like confrontational so much, but it's, it's an, it has enough bite to it that it's just, he's being courteous and everything, but he's like, he's making it known like, yeah, you're a scumbag who doesn't even fucking have the, um, um, doesn't even have the courtesy or respect of the office that you have to be even aware of who, like who's of, of what circumstances led you to have that office. Um, it's just, it's so rich and so beautiful that, that interaction. And I love Damon Wayans Jr.'s performance in that. I really do. So then as we continue on our journey through the town of Littleton, after the Jason fixing everything montage, uh, Jason is in the, the, the store and the shopkeep is celebrating, uh, the tree that suddenly removed from his, from his yard. And there's something I didn't look up who it was, but I love the way that this <laughs> that this shopkeep guy, this cashier guy at the the store, uh, plays the role. Like he's so like I, he's he's kind of animated, but he doesn't steal focus or anything. It's just I, I think it's a really charming performance. Um. So Jason does this thing, and this is something that's been prevalent throughout the episode, and will continue to be prevalent. Um, Jason has this kind of air about him that's like, yeah, everything is going pretty well. Like it's it's like he's inviting, he's in he's inviting or he's flirting with, with getting the adulation that he deserves for the work that he's done, even though he's doing it anonymously and everything. So like here, he suggests that a guardian angel is kind of turning things around. And it's it's just an interesting dichotomy that he strikes because he wants recognition, but he's also being kind of altruistic and and being selfless in this uh, pursuit of fixing the town. And I love and and felt the, the offense that he takes at the suggestion that it's Mayor Conley doing it. Um, and it gets to the point where he where it gets to him, like it's actually like he's starting to, um he gets a little bit, not angry, but kind of formidable. He's like, he, uh, cause the shopkeep says that, you know, Conley's wanting to, uh, butter us up for votes for the reelection. And then Jason's like, he was never elected. It's a, it's an election. Like he, he the line of succession fell into his lap. He's, he wasn't elected for anything ever. Um, and I, I love that. Cause again, Damon Wayne's Jr., just powerhouse performance in this episode, honestly. And this is where Jason's resolve starts to crack. And this is where the first seeds of his version of corruption come in. Like I said, this isn't a traditional, like, self-centered corruption, um, corrupted by the Twilight Zone kind of thing. This is a careful corruption that burrows into Jason, um, as he wants to dole out retribution for wrongs toward the town. Um, which I'll get to later, <laughs> um, and so he continues his work. He makes a sign, and uh, but before that, I thought that this is another kind of loose, almost prayer-like thing. It's a loose reference to like religious and faith, religious faith and everything. But before Jason makes the sign, he's he's speaking out loud and he's wondering what Trina would do, and it's like he's speaking to Trina in an almost prayer way. So I thought that was interesting. Um, so he makes the sign to, you know, bring, bring in more, uh, tourists and more people from the, from the freeway. And like the, the next day at the church service, it's actually filled. Like there's a lot of people, um, actually in the church, which is really nice. And, uh, it makes the pastor happy. And I also, I wonder, cause you see in the kind of, I don't know what it's, I don't know, it's not a marquee, I don't think, but you see on the sign outside the church that the pastor's name is Nichelle, and I wonder, I didn't think to ask this when I interviewed uh, Tananarive and Stephen, but um, I wonder if the name Nichelle was something like, name was a name that they put into the script in homage to Nichelle Nichols from Star Trek, of course, Um, so I don't know, but anyway. Um, the church is full. Uh, the church is full, and uh, Jason and Emilio are kind of standing in the back. I, I kind of like this friendly, uh, this friendly relationship or bond between Jason and Emilio because I mean they're just you know they're pals. It's cool, um, and they they're kind of watching Conley taking in the credit for the work that Jason's been doing, and I like the kind of back and forth between them because they, neither one of them like the mayor, um, and he's just like, this is where we get more. This is where we get more of Jason's kind of corruption or or, or anger toward the mayor, because um, he's like he's eating this up. Like he's he's you know he's he's eating this up, and I love I love the way that Conley reacts to people in this scene specifically, um, because it's such a slippery politician way to react to um, to getting adulation for something that you had no part in doing. Like it's such a sleazy. Political thing to do. Like, oh, I'm not going to not take credit for this. So I'm going to just take in all of this, all of this cheer and and adulation for the work that someone else has been doing. Um, It's just, it's so slimy and sleazy. I I love it as a piece of, of characterization for Conley. And so the pastor gives her her sermon and she talks about how bad a time Littleton has had recently. And I just, again, I just have to highlight, I love, 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 love how lived in and organic this community and its issues are. Um, this feels so much like Stephen King, who I count as one of the greatest storytellers living today of our time. And he's, he's a master at character-driven community building um like under the dome the stand um he has these big tomes that are all about community and the people interacting with within the community um and this feels so much grounded in that type of storytelling that I could not I could not um avoid comparing the two and it's just it's so it's so wonderful the way that it's uh, plays out so the pastor uh Talks about the helper, um, the, all the fixes that have been doing, and she says that her husband uh, has dubbed the uh, the helper as El Ayudante, and Mayor Conley accepts it without correcting or acknowledging that he is El Ayudante. Um, it's just, it's the cheers, and uh, it's just, this is where you get corrupt Jason. You, this is where you get Jason veering off of his path toward fixing the town, and toward a just kind of a toward retribution essentially. So he's walking down the street and he picks up a rock and he has an idea. And I got to mention, I wonder if this is an intentional reference, but the rock is red and I wonder if it's a holdover prop or a direct reference to the rocks in not all men from season one. So I'm not sure, but he takes the rock. He goes up to the model and he drops it on Conley's car. (laughs) And, uh, you know, it's as a piece of kind of a, a slightly comedic, like kind of dark comedy aspect of it, because it's it's funny to see the bad guy get a comeuppance and get re- uh, retribution for being kind of a slight sl- uh, smug asshole and everything. Um, like he deserves it and everything, but this is a this is a big step for Jason. This is a big a big breach of Jason the kind of caring and charismatic and, and, uh, grieving character that we've known. Um, this is a big jump for him to jump to destroying someone's property just for personal, personal use and and not to the benefit of the town as a whole. And again, this is another kind of subtle, and again, okay, this is a subtle kind of, it feels kind of a religious moral at the center of it. Um, in, okay, I'm gonna preface this next sentence by saying I'm not a religious person. I went to church when I was in like fifth grade with a friend who had like a pastor dad who. Pastor, preacher, priest? No, not priest. Um, pastor, I guess. I don't know. But anyway, and we would go to church and have like Sunday school and stuff like that. But other than that, I'm not, I'm agnostic, probably leaning more towards atheist in my personal beliefs, but um yeah, I just it's not a part of my life or anything so what I found so so to say I say that as a preface uh, as a preface to me <laughs> saying this next thing because I don't know specifically if there are religious religious allegories to be mined from this, so what I find interesting about this is that. Jason has taken it upon himself. He has been imbued with this godlike ability to fix the town and have this kind of all-powerful kind of aspect to him. And he's up until this point, he has done this purely to help the town and help his fading community. And this is the this is his first step toward eschewing that kind of altruistic kind of nature and doling out a a punishment towards someone who he perceives has wronged the town. And this is a big step, like I said. And while Conley is kind of a smug asshole and he kind of deserves it, (laughs) it's also Jason using his gift for personal use and not to the benefit of the town, like I said. And it shows Jason having a little bit more hubris with the model, with the model, and he's taking, so he's taking it upon himself to to dole out punishment for the sins of the mayor. And while the episode doesn't present this as, as much of a serious threat that Jason will be corrupted by power, like, I never got the sense that Jason was going to go all in and be like, oh, I'm the god of the town. <laughs> um, instead, what it does, the threat that we have is for Jason's soul. Like, we don't know necessarily how far Jason is willing to go with this. And I don't think... There's ever really a threat of him going too far with it, but this is a character that we have we've seen has like a good-natured intentions, and this is him acting out um, with the power that he's given. So I don't know if there's a religious allegory in that somewhere, but it's interesting to see a character who has these godlike powers or this godlike gift um, feel the like actually act on punishing a character for the sins that the character that he perceives the character has, has committed. Um So I th- I found that interesting. So uh what I found even more interesting than that actually <laughs> is how each time he does it. So he does this a couple of times, which we'll get to the spider scene here in a second, but each time he does this, it's interesting the way that the, the way that the kind of universe kind of reacts to it or the byproduct of his doling out punishment toward the mayor is that the reaction comes at the cost or, or is, isn't, um, Jason doesn't have the repercussions of that or the guilt of that. Instead, what happens when he does these things to Conley is Conley assumes that Emilio has to do with it. So, um, so Conley kind of goes after Emilio when this happens and he is like, it's building toward the confrontation scene at the end, which I'll get to obviously, but, here it's just like it's a stepping stone and it's just really interesting i found this such a said to be such a fascinating aspect of this episode in that we have a character with godlike abilities that is doling out punishment towards someone who he perceives has committed an act against the community um and to kind of bring him down to humble this character um but the byproduct, of the, oh my god, the byproduct of that action is that a child is kind of the person that gets the brunt of the reaction of that. Like the, the punishment begets a, begets a pro, uh, punishment toward uh, an innocent child. I just found that really compelling in terms of, kind of the hierarchy of, of sin and, um, and inaction or action. So I thought that was interesting. Um, and I just want to say the actor playing Emilio is fantastic. Um, he's great at being this kind of bratty or trolley kid. So like he has this like kind of smug smile on his face. Um, it's just, it's so great because it, it, it's fun. It, it's kind of, it, lightens the tension a little bit but it also just shows how little respect Conley has which is strong and and it's good character development and world building for the community as well so after he has accosted Emilio and he's getting angry and everything um, Conley notices the crowd (laughs) that's formed around him and he uses it and this again just such a sleazy politician thing so he uses the crowd as a means to kind of pontificate and And reclaim the crowd, and and uh, really, really, uh, um, kind of assume the mantle of El Ayudante. And what, like, they just saw him lose control. Like, they just saw him lose his cool and like go after a child. But him kind of going into his whole political uh, politician thing, it works. Like, he's he's subtly reminding. The crowd that all of these good things have happened and the, that a silly space rock is not going to crush the spirit of El Ayudante. So not committing to the fact that he is the helper or he's not saying that for plausible deniability, but he is leading his followers or the crowd to assume that he is the helper and in my interview with Reeve and Steven, um, they talked a little bit about how it, there's some, uh, some incidental, uh, kind of connections to, um, Trump and Trumpism and everything. And here I think is a, is a great indication of that. Um, because he's reclaimed the crowd and they just saw him lose his cool on a kid, but it works. So I don't know. The crowd is, is, um, okay with that because of the the good things that he has claimed to do so I, I found some interesting correlation there um, so the next scene is kind of one of the big the probably the biggest scene I don't know anything about the production obviously but I got his I got his I got to assume that this was a pretty expensive scene to shoot because that spider those spider effects are, are pretty pretty great um, and it's terrifying. Also, I am I am horrified of spiders. I just, I hate them. So this was a tough scene to watch. But um, aside from that, I do think that this is a very interesting escalation to Jason as terms of him being a punisher of Conley for sins and everything that Conley's committed. So from Jason's perspective, he's doing, he's doling out the uh, punishment that's just. He's doling out just punishment for Conley's dishonesty, his added, uh, his dishonesty dishonesty, attitude and actions and everything. But Conley, this is something I found really fascinating. So Conley doesn't see it that way. And he he doesn't see this um so so he's incapable of taking responsibility or a self-reflection. So he sees this as a personal attack on him and he sees it as someone just just acting out against him. He doesn't use this as a means to think like, okay, well, this is clearly some kind of otherworldly thing. And he even says in the next scene with uh, with the pastor, he says his faith is being tested and everything. So he admits to that, but he is incapable of uh, taking responsibility for his actions or uh, or self-reflecting or, or thinking that this, this supernatural thing could possibly be in retribution for his actions or the things that he's done. Cause he's just not capable of seeing his actions as anything negative. Um, and I have in my notes, in other words, he's a politician. So yeah, take that, uh, as you will. Um, yeah. So the, um, The visual effects of the spider freak me out. And then also Emilio sees it and starts drawing it, which will come into play later, uh, which is now. (laughs) So, uh, so the next day we get the aftermath of the spider. Um, We see Conley going up to the pastor. And again, this is a great scene because it, it just brings us into, it's not a full scene. It's just, it brings us into just uh, enough of this conversation between him and the pastor that it just, it works really well. So he says that his faith is being tested and he doesn't know what to do and everything. Um, and then that's when, like, it's almost to the point where he is almost, he's almost reached a point of self-actualization and almost reached a point of humble, humble, uh, being humbled. But then he sees Emilio painting the spider and that's when he gets just he rages he's he's freaked out like he uh he accuses Emilio and then I love the way that Anna just stops him and dresses him down in public he's just she's just like if you have any problems with him you come to me don't go to after my son or anything it's just it's really great uh scene there um so yeah so then we get probably one of the most important scenes of the entire episode And it's where the pastor visits Jason to check in on him. And she says that he says that he's been acting different since these changes have happened. And, uh, and yeah, so he, he's feeling kind of morose and she has this line where she says, cause they're talking, cause he's talking about Mary Conley and she has this line where she says, none of us is beyond uh, redemption. And, I I love that. Like, that is such a great, succinct scene, but it's a beautiful line. Because um, if there's a lesson to be learned or a moral to, to be gleaned from this episode of The Twilight Zone, this is just a strong contender. Like, people are capable of redemption and everything. Um, granted, I don't necessarily think that Conley ever really learns a lesson <laughs> or, um, or doesn't really have, like, a, a come-to-Jesus moment. But... The community does, and the community is what gets that lesson, which we'll see here in a second. So, then Jason wants to do more. He, he, and maybe this is a, this is a reaction to the pastor saying that no one is beyond redemption, um, because he wants to make a bigger sign and he wants to make, he just wants to, he just wants the community to, you know, uh, thrive. Um, and maybe it's just an overcompensation for his actions. Maybe he's feeling guilty about his actions against the mayor but he makes a bigger sign and ends up blowing the power grid and the community then meets in a church. And this scene also just feels so much like a Stephen King community scene. It's just, it's, I love it uh, dearly. So, uh, but, but yeah, the actual act of, blowing the power grid and killing the power for the town, it almost feels like punishment for Jason trying to teach a lesson to Conley. Um, It just feels like, like it's interesting to think in terms of like, like the universe correcting itself, like him, uh, him doing this, this goodwill for the, for the community. And then doling out punishment to Conley, and then the next act of working for the community blows the entire power grid. is just it's really compelling in terms of like lessons learned and and um, uh, retribution and repercussions for for Jason and Conley essentially. And so Conley at the meeting says that it could take weeks to fix it and everything, and that's when <laughs> the kind of other shoe drops with Conley. So. People in the crowd ask Conley to do his thing, his helper thing. That's when Conley says he never actually was the, he never actually said that he was the helper. <laughs> um, uh, which I, I, again, politician all the way. It's such a political thing, uh, politician, sleazy politician scene or, or line. I, I love it so much. So that's when the townspeople start getting irate. Uh, One lady yells that he's trying to get everyone to leave so that he can buy them out uh, at a discount. And that's when the mob forms. And Jason is just kind of observing. He's kind of seeing how it'll play out. And as the mob forms, it spills out into the street. I love the imagery of that. Like It just felt like, because it's nighttime and everything, it kind of feels like Frankenstein's monster and the townspeople and everything. It's just, it's, it's really evocative uh, visuals and everything. So it spills out into the street and this scene that plays out, it's, it's a direct reference and homage to the monsters are due on Maple street because as Conley is getting bombarded and surrounded by this crowd, this mob crowd, uh, he tries to sell out Emilio and he tries to make him out to be a scapegoat. It's exactly how Charlie shifted the Maple Streets mob in the monsters are doing on Maple street, their attention onto the kid in, in that episode. But what's beautiful about it here is that (laughs) it has the absolute opposite effect on the mob (laughs) in this scenario. And I love it for that so much because him saying that like, Oh, this kid is, has uh, drawn everything he draws it, and it happens and everything. He's the, he's the person that's been doing this and everything. And that completely, completely backfires on Conley. <laughs> and I love it so freaking much. I just, I love that because it is so clearly a Maple Street reference, but it's flipped on its ear and it's, it's completely, uh, uh, turned around. I, I love it so much. So as the crowd advances on Conley, that's when Jason steps up and he finally takes responsibility. He admits that he was the one that was helping the town. Uh, but when he says that, he, he, doubles down on on conley like again this is this is great because he is assertive and he he doesn't he isn't doing this out of kindness of his heart to to uh to um get conley out of out of danger or to have him be absolved of of his sins and everything because he says he he tells conley he wasn't that conley wasn't helping the town uh, he was hurting it. And that's why he did this. So he demonstrates it by lighting a fire. Um, and again, I don't, I don't know. I, I, this is a huge, huge stretch, but I don't know if there's like some kind of burning bush allegory in that, but probably not. Cause I don't think that's a clear reference. Like the, the, cause well, I don't know. God demonstrating his powers to Moses, I think is what the, what the burning bush was. I don't know. Who knows? Well, people who know do. But anyway, um, <laughs> so as the fire is burning and everything, um, Jason says that he tried to help the town. And then he says, things don't always go as we plan. And I thought that that line was interesting because it, it kind of feels similar to the cop in replay. His line about, uh, things don't always work out the way we, think they will or something. Um, I don't think that's an intentional uh, reference or anything, but I thought that that was an interesting correlation. So uh, Jason goes back up to the attic and he puts his wedding band down and apologizes to Trina for not fixing the town and everything. I thought that was very heartfelt and and kind of a beautiful kind of moment for Jason acknowledging the, uh, uh, you know, letting Trina down and uh, everything. And then Conley bursts in and sees the model and he immediately sees uh, opportunity, saying that he can make Littleton into a new Vegas. And again, the Stephen King allegory or the Stephen King references that I, that I, uh, or similarities, it just, it reminds me so much of like a Greg Stilson from The Dead Zone or Big Jim Rennie from Under the Dome, like a self-serving, selfish character and I love the way that, like, this is Jason's big moment. This is when he stands firm and he tells him that he's not going to let him do that. And so um, there's a scuffle and the model tips tips over and causes dami- damage to the town and destroys the model. We see the light go out. We see the gear stop moving and everything. Um, and that's almost the end of the episode. We get a final scene, and I love this so much as just a... A, a final scene for this episode. So as Jason, Nichelle, Anna and Amelia, Emilio are walking down the street, there's weighing the damage on the town and everything. Jason, uh, like Emilio says, like, can't you fix it? Um, and Jason's like, well, the model probably won't work or the models destroyed. It probably won't work anyway. And then Nichelle has this, has this very beautiful line where she says, when people come together, broken things can be mended. And I, I, I just thought that that was just a really poignant and, and beautiful line. And, uh, <laughs> and then we get the great, like the great, um, just beautiful moment here that I, I think is just uh, brilliant, honestly. Um, that the camera pans out and, uh, we see a news reporter saying that, um, that they found one of the largest pieces of unbroken gold ever reported. And it's just, it's, it's Jason's wedding band, um, just because he put it on the model and everything just kind of as an afterthought. And I found that to be just so beautiful and brilliant because the symbolism of like, it's, it's all in the symbolism of Littleton being mended and brought together literally, literally by the symbol of Trina and Jason's love It's just, it's really good and just beautiful kind of poetic justice for, for this episode. Um, because the whole episode is about Jason trying to, trying to fix what Mayor Conley has messed up for the town. He's trying to bring the town back to the glory that it had under the regime of Trina. And he wants, he wants to do right by his, by his dead wife. And this, this, being the end to that like having his wedding band the symbol of their undying love and everything be what will the implication is be what funds them to fix the town and everything is just so just it it it, it's so heartwarming and beautiful i i love it so much um yeah and then we get the closing narration which i will play here
0: we can never calculate what change our actions will bring into the world despite our best intentions and whether they will be for good or ill. Yet without action, the stars themselves go cold. Jason Grant wanted to change the world for the better, but the power to do so got the best of him until he lost it all. But today, perhaps losing it all, both for Mr. Grant and for the town of Littleton, was the beginning of something new. Lonely hands find each other in the shadows, both in our imperfect world and in the Twilight Zone.
1: Oh and worth worth noting that uh Jordan Peel does not appear on screen for this closing narration but I do think that this is one of the most beautifully constructed closing narrations for this uh, iteration of the Twilight Zone um I really don't think it's hyperbolic to say that it's uh it's it does write by Serling's narrations, um, because it's elegant and the sentiment behind it is both beautiful and it just wraps up the episode very well. Um, one of my favorite, um, lines from it. It's just we can never calculate the change our actions will bring, um, into the world. Uh, despite our best intentions and whether they will be good for, or for ill, yet without actions, the stars themselves can go cold. Um, it's just, it's a beautifully, Beautifully written uh, closing narration. Um, yeah, so that is a small town. Once again, check out my interview with uh, Tanana Reev and Stephen Barnes, and also check out the Stand podcast, The Company of the Mad, um, that just wrapped up, and Tanana Reeve is on that. Stephen Barnes makes an appearance on one episode. They have a very great uh, conversation about the Green Mile. On that, um, that was that was really fascinating and makes me uh, curious to to go back and and we'll read the green mile for the first time and go back and watch the movie again. But anyway, um, yeah, thanks once again to the, to, to not or even and, and Steven for coming on the show and chatting with me about it. And, uh, yeah, that's a small town. And next up, we're going to be reviewing try, try, um, which I'm hoping to pump that out soon. Um, we'll, we'll see. And then after that, I already have my review of, you might also like in the can cause it was one of the screeners I got. Um, back when the series was about to launch. And uh, so I've had that in the can for a while. If you want early access to that, you can pledge $10 on Patreon, patreon.com slash viewer. That gets you access to unreleased and early access to that episode and a couple episodes from season three of the original series as well, which will be coming out soon because I'm wrapping up my uh, review series on the Twilight Zone 2020 or 2019. Um, uh, was it 2019? Yes, it was. Jesus. Okay. So... Yeah. And then also I'm going to do a wrap up episode. Hopefully that's still in the works with, uh, Dan and Anna from Between Science and Superstition. Um, I'm looking forward to that. Um, especially because by the time I get around to to getting that, uh, set up and everything, I'm going to have new podcast equipment. Um, I'm very excited for that. So, okay. Um, that'll do it for this episode of anthology this bonus episode of anthology um once again thank you so much for listening and for being patient as i get these episodes pumped out and everything i'm very excited to get back to the original twilight tone um, that'll be soon i promise um all right well that'll do it for this episode i uh, look forward to try try coming up and thank you guys so much for listening and i'll see you next time And now here's a short clip from our Patreon exclusive RSS feed. To hear the full clip and more exclusive Patreon content, go to patreon.com slash obsessive viewer and become a patron at the minimum rate of $1 per month. Thank you and enjoy. Like it's, it's great. It is great. I love it and everything, but I would, I would build it up too much. Um, and like have people lose interest. So on Twitter, I tried to just kind of play it cool. <laughs> and I said something to the effect of like, oh, you know, I, I think you'll enjoy it. Um, yeah, it's really cool. It's got a lot of uh, a, a really strong kind of cast of characters at the center of it. Um, there's some really cool, um, well-realized uh, space stuff and science. It's, it's really cool. I think you'll enjoy it. And, um, you know, and just for just so you know, like I'm listening to book five and like I'm, if I didn't have stuff I had to do tonight, I'd probably listen to the last to the end of it tonight, and then start book six tomorrow. Just saying, you know. Um. Anthology
2: is edited and produced by Matt Hurt and presented by ObsessiveViewer.com. For a full archive of our episodes, go to AnthologyPod.com/archive. You can also like the Facebook page at Facebook.com/AnthologyPod and follow the show on Twitter at OVAnthologyPod. If you enjoy the show, please take a couple minutes to leave us a rating and a quick review on Apple Podcasts. This is the easiest way to support what we do, and all it costs is a little bit of your time. Official Anthology merch, including shirts, mugs, phone cases, and more, can be found in the Obsessive Viewer's Public store. You can find a link to the store in the show notes of this episode and at anthologypod.com slash donate. Or you can simply search for Obsessive Viewer at TeePublic.com. For information about the Obsessive Viewer's annual live event showcasing short horror films from local filmmakers, check out ShocktoberinIrvington.com. And for an archive of all our events, as well as news about potential future events, head over to obsessiveviewer.com slash live. For more podcast content, you can find our flagship movie and TV review and discussion show, the Obsessive Viewer podcast at obsessiveviewer.com and on Twitter at Obsessive Viewer. You can also find Tower Junkies, a podcast where Matt and co-host Tiny share their love of all things Stephen King and his magnum opus, The Dark Tower series, over at TowerJunkiesPod.com and at TowerJunkiesPod on Twitter. And finally, check out The Secular Perspective, Tiny's side project podcast, which tackles current events and life's big questions from the perspective of secular hosts Chad and Amanda at TheSecularPerspective.com. Bumper music for this podcast comes courtesy of As Good As It Gets, which can be found at Facebook.com slash As Good As It Gets Band. You can also find As Good As It Gets music on Spotify, Google Play, and iTunes. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you next time. Kitty! Thank, thank the Lord, no serious injuries. The property damage. You
0: think it? So? The model? No, I don't think so. I feel like it wouldn't work anymore anyway. I wasn't talking about no model.
1: When people come together, broken things can be mended. Yeah, but how
0: are we going to pay for all